0: This is the Life of Jesus podcast with Ben Greenbaum and Mark Elsesser. My name is Mark, and I'm here with my good colleague Ben. We're ready to continue on for episode number six. We're in a full year study looking at the life, teachings, and works of Jesus from the four Gospels. So, you know, last week Ben, we we looked at the b- baptism and temptation of Jesus. That the beginning pieces of his ministry. And now he actually goes a little bit public by doing something which is I, I find interesting. The, the first thing we we have in the record that he does is he gets followers. He gets people to be with him in ministry. He gets people that he can train and develop for, for ministry. Now, you, you've been a pastor for a while. I've been a pastor for a whiler than you. And, uh, a long whiler. A long whiler than you. <laughs> uh, uh, so I, I just wonder, you know, as, as pastors, uh, are we really very good at saying, identifying potential leaders and developing them and raising them up and knowing that one day when we move on or die on or whatever causes us to not be leaders in our churches anymore, that there is a, there's a network of people either in our church or that we send out. What keeps, in your mind, what keeps us from as pastors or church leaders from being
1: very good at that? Man, that's a loaded question. It is. That's why I threw it at you. (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot. I think some of it is it's just the the day in day out responsibilities that come uh, with ministry. Uh, some con- sometimes can sidetrack us uh, from that. Uh, whether that's just the administrative function uh, of ministry, which uh, oftentimes seems to to get more loaded a uh, year in and, and year out, um, but also, uh, and understandably, the the things that come up that you can't prepare for uh, the, the things that happen in the lives of those that you're ministering to, uh, deaths, births, uh, struggles, disease, whatever it might be, um, to where you are, you're on constant call and and wanting to, uh, re- be a revelation of Christ's love and presence uh, to people to, to help point people to Jesus in the midst of those moments. Um, but oftentimes those, uh, those moments sometimes can, uh, can cause us not to be as intentional as we should be uh, in developing leaders uh, in developing uh, hearts for Christ, setting them free ultimately to lead and to live into their calling uh, because we do I mean we uh, you know I mean we lead Bible studies weekly, we see people's lives being nurtured uh, near to the heart of, of Christ, but that that next step in calling people. Uh, to live more fully and faithfully into that call is sometimes uh, something that uh, I have not personally been as intentional as I need to be in doing that.
0: Yeah, me, me either. I, I believe part of the answer maybe for me and and for maybe some others sometimes is not only just being busy, but realizing it's a long game. Yeah, yeah. That Jesus spent three years with these guys before he released them. And we think about okay, I'm going to spend 30 minutes on a sermon, or an hour on a Bible study, or or a shorter period of time, instead of saying, who am I going to develop in this over the next year or two or whatever, to be the next preacher, or to be the next missionary, or to be the next person who simply leads us a small group in their home and and really pour into them in their lives. And yet, it's the first thing we see Jesus doing. Mm -hmm. It's it's his beginning in ministry is to gather followers, and I just think that's pretty cool. I'm I'm going to spend some time in John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1 today. Again, the Gospels in the New Testament are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They are the story of the life of Jesus, and we're weaving in and out through all of them in this study. But today we're going to take a look at John, chapter 1. We already know that Jesus had a close relationship with John the Baptist, and John was one of his people in fact in John chapter 1 verse 29 it says the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said look the lamb of god who takes away the sin of the world that is a loaded statement there you Amen. thought my question was big that's a loaded statement to declare that Jesus is the lamb of god and to say he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What's behind that phrase and that putting together the Lamb of God and sin of the world that John is proclaiming prophetically about Jesus there?
1: Uh well, there it points back uh, ultimately to the Exodus account, which we could spend, you know, twenty podcasts on, but we That's are It's gonna be year nine. Right. <laughs> Right. You'll be sick and tired of me by then. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, it points back, uh, for, for the, in the mind of the Israel, I would point back to the Exodus account. We remember, uh, the Israelites, uh, in Egypt and, uh, the, the putting of the blood of the lamb, uh, over the, the door frame um, which, uh, you know, covered over them as God struck down the firstborn of, uh, of Egypt. And so it bears, uh, it, that that's called to mind here as we consider how the blood of Christ ultimately covers over, uh, our sin. He was not only the priest who presented
0: the lamb for right. sacrifice, he was Jesus lamb. was the Passover lamb. Yep. And that statement that he takes away the sin of the world is a powerful statement for all to hear. In fact, he says it again the next day. So on verse 29, it said the next day from the previous day. And then 35, it says the next, the next day. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. Interesting that John had disciples. Right, John had people that he was developing and training along the way in his ministry of calling people to repentance and baptism and forgiveness of sins. So John was there with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by again, he said, "Look, the Lamb of God." When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. We've talked a little bit about John. You know, he's he's in the story a lot early on in the Gospels, and here he has his people, and they go to another church. That's right. You know, I mean, they they follow <laughs> another leader, and and John seems to be okay with that. Yeah. Uh, why aren't we
1: so okay with that as as pastors in the world today i think one of the things that a lot of pastors wrestle with is they wrestle with their own uh pride rather than uh ultimately um you know and this isn't to to cast aspersions on anyone it's one of those things that we have to check our own hearts daily am i making much of christ am i pointing people to Christ is my greatest concern uh, for them to know Christ, to uh, grow into the likeness of Christ. Is that my focus? And that's what we see with John the Baptist. You know, he was the, you know, I must become less, he must become greater. And in everything, John's, the whole of his desire is to point other people to Christ and let the chips fall where they may. It was never about him. It was always about Jesus. You know, I I got a story I would tell you about you that
0: happened this week. Somebody came to me and somebody from our church came to me and said, I I want to tell you, uh, Pastor Mark, I want to tell you, when Ben preaches, it really resonates with me. I absolutely love Ben's preaching and and it really challenges me. And then he stopped and he said, I hope that doesn't offend you. I excommunicated him from the church. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just said, of, of course it doesn't. Like, I, I, I want, I want everyone to to be everything that God's called them to be, but there is a part of us, I would say, that when we're when we're really honest, like, uh, I want to be liked more than everybody else. Sure, I want to be adored by people. And there, there's a a different attitude to say. No, I want to see others elevated in whatever get, way God wants them to be elevated, so that they can be all that God's called them to be. Yep. And for us to have that same attitude, not simply that toward Jesus, you know, I must become less, but to have that attitude toward one another, mm-hmm. that there are there are ways that someone else can. I think maybe one of the reasons we don't train people for ministry enough is we don't want them to take our
1: job. Right? It's like a, it's a safeguard. It's a means of self-protection. And that, yeah. and again, that's where what ends up happening is you know, where <laughs> some folks want to guard their heart so much, right? They become self-protective in some ways, um, maybe even unintentionally, want to draw followers uh, to themselves rather than celebrating the good gifts that God has given to others. Um, and, and how those gifts complement w- one another, you know, it's one of the things that I cherish most about you is, is your absolute, uh, humility in celebrating, uh, whether it's the God's gifts in me, uh, myself celebrating God's gifts in you, recognizing that, that you have immeasurable strengths, like in your preaching that, that I don't have, I don't have those specific gifts. But the, how God's going to use those gifts in the lives and hearts of others in, in ways that I can't because I don't nec- I don't necessarily possess those gifts. I had a a young guy right out of uh, he, he graduated from Taylor. You know, he's 22 years old at the former church that I worked at that we hired as our youth director. His natural ability at 22 far exceeded anything that I had, and I wanted to get him in front of people as much as I possibly could yeah, right. because his ability, his gifts were going to benefit the kingdom, right? They were going to be a benefit to the proclamation of the gospel. And so wanting to celebrate that gift, giving him every opportunity to utilize that gift, uh, not for the sake of building his brand, but for the sake of glorifying God and to celebrate that. You know, we're supposed to rejoice with those who rejoice. And so often, rather than being joyful in the gifts of others, we have a tendency to envy them.
0: Yeah, because we're going to see in this story. By the way, welcome to the Mutual Admiration Podcast. Mark <laughs> and Ben here, and we're, we're going to see in in the in the stories that's throughout the year that Jesus not only develops these followers yeah. and trains them, but they do things he did not do. That's right. Like Jesus didn't take the gospel to Africa. And to other parts of Asia, right, and to Southern Europe, and all these places where the disciples went, right. So to, to be able to elevate someone to to do things that either you can't do, which was not true of Jesus, but won't do, is is an ultimate act of humility. So Jesus trains these people, and the, and it says in we're in John chapter one still, verse forty and it says andrew simon peter's brother andrew just couldn't stand on his own you're you're ben you have a brother right what's I his do.
1: name uh andy Wait, so not I'm, andrew but andy for now yeah. now
0: I'm going to call you ben andy's brother yeah that's fine so it's andrew simon peter's brother was one of those two guys who heard what john had said about jesus being the lamb of god and who had followed him so andrew the one of the the disciples of john who became the disciple of jesus Stayed with him. Then it said, I love this in verse 41. The first thing Andrew did, the first thing he did was Mm -hmm. to find his brother, Simon, and say, we have found the Messiah. We found him. And he he brought him to Jesus. That's pretty awesome to do that. You know, there's nothing like somebody who's a new believer, right? Right. They want to tell everybody. Right. They want to tell everybody. I, I love that zeal that people have. When they first come to Christ, and I don't know if we get inoculated over time, or if we get you know the the vaccine for it, or the booster for it, or something that after a while it's like, nope, this is my church, and whoever attends here is already is already good. But the, at least we see in Andrew's life, the very first thing, yeah, number one out of the gate is my brother's got to know, yeah, he's got to know, and so he brings his his brother. Simon, who is renamed Peter, along, and he becomes a follower. And then there's there's some more stories there in John chapter 1. Philip says in verse 43, the next day they des- Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. And Philip, just like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida, which is up in the, in the northern part near the Sea of Galilee. Philip found Nathanael, most people believe that, Was the same person as Bartholomew. He found Nathaniel and said, We've found the one Moses wrote about. So he's going off and finding people and and telling them, telling his friend, You've got to come and see Jesus. You've you've got to come and see this guy. There's some all kinds of stuff going on in the story that we'll just let people read and and see how Nathaniel had some hesitation along the way. But he comes and follows Jesus. And and then in the in the synoptic gospels Matthew Mark and Luke by the way what are the synoptic gospels what
1: what's that phrase since i just tossed it out there they there's a basically there's a synergy between the three of them Matthew Mark and Luke yeah yeah they're
0: kind of written in the same
1: style yeah yeah and John's written in a
0: whole different maybe more narrative style yeah but Matthew Mark and Luke have the story of Jesus going out and into the it's at the Sea of Galilee and, and getting getting into the boats of Simon and Andrew and saying, Follow me. And the phrase that's interesting to me, I'm just I'll just pick it up from Mark chapter one, verse eighteen. It says Simon and Andrew left their nets and followed him. And down down in Mark chapter one verse twenty, James and John, their fishing partners, left their father Zebedee in the boat yeah. and followed him. So there's a there's this aspect of leaving yeah. in order to be a follower. It, w- <laughs> what I mean, like, what did you leave?
1: Yeah, well, <laughs> a lot <laughs> in a lot of in a lot of ways. And again, it doesn't. It's the it's you know the whole leaving cleave uh, sense here, um, because yeah, Jesus sometimes in, in our calling calls us to leave. You know, I left my hometown. I left my home state. I moved to Indiana. I moved to Texas. I moved back uh to Indiana. Welcome to to God's country by the way. <laughs> glad you're here. Right. Right. Uh he's not a he's not a buyer on that. Hey, look, I love uh Indiana. So do not misunderstand me. It is home. I remember when I first moved here, I thought oh, I'd be here 3 to 5 years and you know 20 years later here I am. Um even my voice has tonally changed uh, over time. So but yeah, I mean, it's wherever God calls us uh to. And the, the big thing is 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 living into our identity in Christ. And so wherever Jesus calls, we go. That doesn't always mean that we are physically going to uh leave something and head to a different place. That doesn't mean that vocationally we're going to leave our current vocation and, you know, uh head into a different vocation. I I had a, a dear friend um who I had the opportunity to to nurture uh, a dear brother in Christ um, who I had the opportunity to uh, to nurture in Christ. Uh, he was in Bible studies with me for years. And when he accepted Christ and just caught fire for Jesus, he, was, he uh, traveled a lot with his job and he would come back and he'd be like, on the plane flight home, I read the entire Gospel of Matthew, I've got questions. I mean, he just loves wow. himself uh, some Jesus. But one day he came to me, he worked for, for Raytheon at the time. And one day he came to me and he's like, Do I need to go be a missionary in Uganda? I'm like, Bill, do you feel called to be a missionary in Uganda? Well, not necessarily, but do I need to go into some sort of vocational ministry as a means of following Jesus? I'm like, No. I was like, God has given you these good gifts to work at Raytheon. Go make much of Jesus at Raytheon. That is what the vocation that God's called you into as a means of fulfilling. Uh, his calling in your life, so go edify, glorify god uh find opportunity to to speak Jesus into the lives of others uh there, but again, the idea is ultimately I put aside any kind of worldly identity, whether that would be centered in you know um a region of the world that we've grown up in, whether that's that identity is centered in our, our vocation, whatever we lay all of those things aside as a means to follow Christ, and and so even to the point where we see in James and John, it's not just a matter of like we're leaving our nets behind and we're leaving the fishing behind, but we're leaving the family business behind. Yeah, what do you think Zebedee thought of this? Like their dad,
0: I, he's like in the boat. Their boys right. jump out and they start splashing their way to Jesus, and there he is, right with the with the family fishing
1: business all alone. Right. Yeah. I can't even fathom yeah. what's okay. going uh, through his mind. At not that everybody,
0: point. Not everybody understands it. When you, when you say I'm, I'm running after Jesus, they don't right. always, they don't always embrace it. We don't know. Maybe Zebedee did, maybe he celebrated, but that's not always the story. No. Is, is it? I, no. I know that that's not the case. When I was working as a computer programmer a long time ago in Evansville, Indiana, how
1: big uh, were the computers back then
0: like well the, si- the yeah the the uh the workstation was about the same size as a modern day laptop. This was nineteen eighty three when I was working there. They're about that size, but that's not where the the actual mainframe was that was in a whole other room, which was a great big old a big old thing, which was a, a far cry from the punch cards that I used when I was a student <laughs> at Purdue. That, that was a whole different era. So I, I went in and talked to my boss and I said, he, he was getting ready to assign me this uh, computer programming job and I was going to sort of create this program for a, a network of gas stations if I remember right. And I remember going to him and, and saying, look, you need to assign this job to somebody else. I'm not, I'm not going to be around to, to fulfill it because I'm going to seminary. I'm going to be a pastor and I'll never forget his words back to me because I'm a, I'm a young kid. I'm in my early twenties and broke. And, and this is a man who owns the business. And he looked back at me and he said, you're going to seminary. I said, well, yes, sir. I am. He said, what a waste of a good mind. And we spent the next half hour talking about, you know, how can there be a God who allows suffering, allows things to happen to children right. and the, and his doubts and his questions and and all of those kind of things. And I don't think I gave very good answers. But I, I know that not everyone embraces the idea of leaving. What he, well, he said, you could you could make a lot of money. You'll be traveling throughout the Americas, South America at the very least. And you're going to make a lot of money here. Do you understand that? And I said, yeah, I do. But God's called me to be a pastor. And he just couldn't wrap his mind around it. Right. so this idea of leaving and following is not always seen by everybody in the, in fact, I, I want to just jump into the one other story before we wrap it up today, and it's, it's in Luke chapter four, Luke chapter four, and Jesus goes back to his hometown. He goes back to the hometown of Nazareth, and it's the Sabbath day, and Jesus stands up and he reads some scripture. And he, he's reading from reading from Isaiah, um, and, and when he reads the scriptures, it's in Luke chapter 4, 16 through nineteen. And after he rolls up the scripture on the scroll, he gives it back to the attendant and sits down, and he says, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And they, you know, he, he gets a polite round of applause, really. I and mean, he says mm-hmm. all spoke well of him. They they loved his gracious words. Like they they were all about Jesus fulfilling in some way this prophecy from Isaiah until Jesus changed the tone in the room. And he said, Look, a lot of times he he goes on, this is in you can look it up in Luke chapter four, verses twenty three through twenty seven, and he and he begins to reference some other places, like Capernaum in Sidon and Syria. And these are, uh, in one case, Capernaum is is Jewish territory, but the others are non-Jewish territory where God had been moving and acting. And he said, God does great things all over the place, and why are you going to only believe if he does great things, these same great things, right here in your presence? That's at least kind of my spin on that. And the same people who were, proud of their hometown hero it says in luke four twenty-eight, all the people all the people in the synagogue were furious when they talked to when jesus was talking about the way god demonstrated love and grace toward non-israelites they were furious when they heard this they got up drove him out of town took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built. These were like neighbors and friends right. he grew up with. It's a small right. town in order to throw him off the cliff. I, I, don't, I just find it, it it's super interesting to me that Jesus' first followers are fishermen and kind of nobodies from a community that's not his own, but his first opponents are his, the kids he grew up with. The aunts and uncles he grew up near, or the or the neighbors, the people that knew him. Why do you think?
1: I don't know. Part of it, I think, he's got a pretty strong word for them there. The other part of it is, it's it's the uh, again they've kind of in their own minds they've they've locked him into a particular identity to where they're like, "Oh wow, man, he he's he's got more wisdom than we would have uh, anticipated." Yeah, right. But at the end of the day, dude, you're just Joseph's son. You know, who are you to say these words to us? Yeah, but that's not worth killing him over. Right. <laughs> so I yeah, that's true. Um I think, but with that, uh again, the the strong word of rebuke that they uh ultimately um just cannot come to terms with, which throws them into an absolute uh rage.
0: The the main takeaway I have from that is the reason that Ben is in Indiana, it says there in verse twenty four, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. So
1: <laughs> hey, I, I'll tell you one one time <laughs> one, one time uh after I had gone into ministry, and again, you know, some there have been periods of time where we've thought about going back to Louisiana. You know, I've got, I mean, obviously my wife is from Indiana, but I have, uh, I'm like, you know, I romanticize the past, but going back, it would be a different road to hold than the road I was on when I left. You still have a passport? uh, Louisiana. Yeah. 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 I still have a, a I've got dual citizenship. Um, but I remember I, I, I went to a, a coffee house probably about, 15 years ago and somebody that I had known years ago, uh, walked in and she's like, you know, Ben, what are you doing these days? I'm like, I'm a, I'm a pastor at a church. And she started laughing because she thought (laughs) I was kidding with her. Like, wait, what, you know? And so, you know, you, you get that kind of baggage or you, you know, you've already, uh, people have a perception of you and identity that they've fixed, uh, to you. And, and so, yeah, Jesus has a strong word for them. Um, he's already, you know, claimed here. He quotes this passage from Isaiah 61 and says, yeah, I'm the fulfillment of this passage. And these, and these folks, these, these people who he, you know, who have known him his whole life mm-hmm. are like, dude, you're Joseph's son. And they like fly into a rage Yeah,
0: from the get go. Jesus is under pressure and it, right. and it begins right. with his, his hometown and neighbors and friends and, and maybe even relatives. And it extends throughout his entire ministry, yeah. of course, ending with his, his crucifixion and even even the scandal, you know, about the cover up, about his resurrection and all kinds yeah. of things. Yeah. So the, all the way through, he, there's, we can't miss the idea that Jesus is under this immense pressure. Yeah. Well, let's wrap it up for today. You know, Folks, if you want to jump in deeper, go to our church's website, fishersumc.org. Or you can find the church app and click on the Life of Jesus link. You can get more info on daily gospel readings, devotions, poems, weekly sermons, group studies, and more episodes of this now somewhat. Has your mother listened to any of these yet,
1: boy? She better have. She, be- <laughs> she better have. I'll be highly disappointed. Yeah, because we need
0: to get our listenership up to two. So right, let her know right? right we-, we Right? to do that. Right. All right. Well, folks, have a great week. Happy New Year.
1: Happy New Year. We'll see you next week.